Hi everyone, it's Melissa Burgess, one of the pre-hospital care specialists here at SWARP. Here with me today is Mr. Dwayne Cattell, another pre-hospital care specialist. Hey guys, it's nice to be here. We want to continue the momentum of the 2020 mandatory 12-lead ECG interpretation and cardiac ischemia cases and highlight some of the key points and introduce a couple of additional cardiac cases. You know, Melissa, it's hard to believe that we actually delivered 147 research or MCMEs between the beginning of September to the middle of December of last year. And it is nice to report that our feedback was positive and the paramedics of all levels were able to walk away with having learned something as well as having a more confident approach when looking at and interpreting 12-lead ECGs. Absolutely. The 2020 mandatory CME highlighted the importance of having an organized approach when interpreting 12-lead electrocardiograms. This organized approach can be used in the setting of interpreting different rhythms, so looking for arrhythmias, and clinically correlating ECG findings with patient presentations like suspected cardiac ischemia. Dwayne, what was that organized approach again? Yeah, so remember, it was a nine-step process, right? It was a nine-step rhythm interpretation. Basically, it's eight steps plus the clinical correlation that involves the patient. So we look at the heart rate. Is it fast? Is it slow? What's the regularity? Is it regular? Is it irregular? Then we look for P waves. When we think about sinus rhythms, you know, think about sinus and there's a P wave before every QRS. Is there? Is it there? Is it not? What's the morphology? What's the shape of the P wave? Then we would look at the PR interval. When we're thinking about milliseconds of spacing, you know, if it's greater than 200 milliseconds, is it regular or irregular? Then we look at the QRS complex. Is it narrow? Is it wide? Remember that 120 milliseconds and greater is considered wide, but if it's less than that, it's good. We look at the ST segment. Is it elevated or is it depressed? Then we move on to the T waves. We look, are they peaked? Are they inverted? Are they flat? Then we look at the QT interval and we looked at what's prolonged and what's not. Remember, prolonged is 500 milliseconds and greater. And then the last step is the synthesis, right? So we take those eight steps and we combine it with the clinical correlation. And then when you look at those things with the patient's condition, that really helps put into perspective of what this rhythm actually is. Thank you for taking us back through those nine steps, Dwayne. We'll make sure to have show notes posted at the end of the SWARP podcast site. So you can go back and refresh your memories with some of the 2020 MCME pearls. Speaking of the pearls, Dwayne, besides the 12 lead interpretation, what are some of the other pearls you took away from this year's 12 lead modules and interactive session? Uh, Very good. So we wanted to look at correlating the ECG findings with the patient presentation, including the presenting complaint itself. A case I came across was as follows. So a patient presented anxious, denied chest pain, and there were no indications or medical history that would point treatment towards that of cardiac ischemia. Uh, After performing a thorough assessment, obtaining a history, a 12-lead was obtained. That 12-lead came back as a STEMI. However, when you looked at the 12-lead attached to the ACR, it was clearly a left bundle. With this in mind, the patient was treated with aspirin, an IV was established, and nitroglycerin was administrated, as well as the cath lab was called for bypass consideration. Now, the bypass was denied as the crew was told to go to the closest appropriate facility. When we discussed this case with the crew involved, we reviewed the importance of correlating the 12-lead ECG with the patient's condition and presentation. Taking the 12-lead at face value and not considering that the patient was asymptomatic 
and subsequently treating them under the Cardiac Ischemia Medical Directive was not indicated for the IV or the nitroglycerin, as there was no chest pain, no discomfort or pressure or heaviness. As well, STEMI bypass should not have been considered for the patient's presentations that included a left bundle because it is a contraindication for STEMI bypass, as well as the addition of the absence of chest pain, slash heaviness, slash discomfort, etc., etc. Thank you for sharing that very interesting case. One of the teaching points we want to get across this year is that the 12 lead is a tool in our toolbox that needs to be used when appropriate. Findings need to be interpreted in the clinical context to assist with decision making. This case really highlighted the importance of looking at the entire picture and correlating the 12 lead findings with the patient condition or presentation and treating accordingly. So I've got lots more interesting cases too, Melissa. I'm sure you do. Do you have any cases where the clinical picture wasn't quite clear and the 12 lead that is in our toolbox helped with patient care and decision making? You know, as a matter of fact, I do. Uh, a crew was called Code 3 to a residence for elderly female patient presenting with nausea and vomiting and weakness. On assessment, the crew found the patient in the living room on the couch actively vomiting. There was a language barrier, uh, but they were able to discern that she had been feeling unwell for the last couple of days, but today she started to experience weakness with some associated shortness of breath. Her past medical history included diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and it was determined that she was semi-compliant with her medications. The crew chose to do a blood sugar and then decided, you know what, let's get a 12 lead. Upon interpreting the 12 lead, they were quite shocked to find that the, that the patient had ST segment elevation. And upon further review, they also observed that she had associated reciprocal lead changes. Now, however, in the absence of pain, she could not be considered for STEMI. In further discussions with her daughter, she told the crew that her mom was having heaviness in her chest. When they clarified with her, she did not realize the importance of heaviness because they asked about pain. It was not pain, it was heaviness in this particular case. So the daughter did not realize that chest heaviness was of the same importance as chest pain. So their treatment included aspirin and made sure to apply the defib pads and they called the interventionalist for a STEMI bypass and the crew was accepted. So the crew monitored her very closely and delivered her to the PCI center. And the crew admitted that it was very difficult communicating with their patient through an interpreter. You know, for instance, when they asked the daughter to ask her mom if she had any chest pain, her mom replied, no, just heaviness. But when the daughter relayed the information back to the crew, she said that her mom denied any chest pain and never thought to mention the heaviness her mother was experiencing, which ultimately led to a delay to initiate that STEMI bypass. But at the end of the day, when they correlated their findings with their patient's condition, they got this patient to definitive care that she desperately needed. Had they had taken this call at face value, uh, they would have basically considered Gravol and been on their way, completely missing that STEMI. Wow, what a great case. Patients haven't read the manual and can present so differently. It's important to use the tools that we have available to use to help us gain insight on what might be going on. These cases really highlight some of the teaching points of the 2020 mandatory CME. 
Speaking of, something new we introduced in the mandatory CME this year was looking for common practices common practice issues identified during our audits. To highlight some of the common issues, we used who wants to be a millionaire style questions throughout the interactive day. One question relating to 12 lead and specifically STEMI was, what piece of equipment should be utilized once STEMI has been confirmed? The correct answer was to apply the DFib pads to all STEMI patients. We talked about this, but Dwayne, do you know why? Well, I assume it's because there's that risk of that uh, lethal ventricular arrhythmia uh, wherein having the pads already on the patient minimizes the time to deliver that shock. That's exactly it. 5% of patients with STEMI go on to have ventricular arrhythmias. That's because the ischemic or remodeled myocytes have that intrinsic pacemaking ability that was discussed in the 2020 mandatory pre-course. When ischemia or having oxygen return to them with reperfusion, it can cause ventriculars to fire erroneously, causing VTAC or VFib. Dwayne, have you ever experienced this? Oh, yeah, I have. Not, not personally myself, but yes, I have. <laughs> yeah, I had a patient who was STEMI positive. I put the pads on. I was getting a, getting a follow-up set of vitals. When my patient went from a GCS of 15 in a sinus tack to a GCS of 3 in VFib, I quickly connected the pads, delivered one shock, got a ROSC, and with the patient asking what happened. So we updated dispatch, and then we uh, remained fairly stable for the remainder of the call. Wow. Speaking of STEMI, this year we introduced the concept of reciprocal changes in STEMI. Dwayne, can you remind us what those are? Yeah, absolutely, Melissa. When we think about reciprocal lead changes, uh, think about it's a mirrored image of the ST segment elevation on the other side of the heart, which results in ST segment depression. And when we remember that the 12 lead is a reading of different cameras taking a picture of the heart at the same time. A camera looking from one side sees the mirrored image as the camera from the other at the same time. But remember, the opposite side of the elevation will show the depression. Thanks, Dwayne. For the sake of this recording, can you highlight the helpful mnemonic again? Absolutely, Melissa. Remember, the acronym was called PALES, P-A-I-L-S, which means if you have ST segment elevation in the posterior leads, you'll have ST segment depression in the anterior leads. If you have ST segment elevation in the anterior leads, you'll have ST segment depression in the inferior leads. If you have ST segment elevation in the inferior leads, you'll have ST segment depression in the high and or low lateral leads. And if you have elevation in the high and or low lateral leads, ST segment elevation, the high uh, and or uh, low lateral leads, they expect to see uh, ST segment depression in the septal leads. Thanks for taking us through that. I'll throw in another plug for our show notes where the tables we reviewed in our mandatory CME are located. One quick note that we tried to stress during the mandatory CME is the expectation is to be able to identify STEMI. The reason that we taught the reciprocal changes is that it's often a question asked by the interventional, interventional cardiologist. The reason they are asking this is that they are trying to determine, based on the patient's clinical picture and ECG findings, if they think the patient is a true STEMI that would benefit from STEMI bypass. So reciprocal changes are important to recognize when faced with ST elevation. The next step should be to see if there's any ST depression present on the ECG. So just a question for you. What about the regions that don't have like STEMI bypass, Melissa? What should they take away from all of this stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So for those services that do not have the option to consider STEMI bypass, be sure to include your findings, such as location of elevation, including any reciprocal changes noticed, in your receiving facility patch and document on your ACR. 
One trend we're seeing is that there is no ECG or 12-lead interpretation documented on the ACRs. And remember to provide the receiving facility with your ECG if available in your area. Thanks so much, Dwayne, for taking the time to join us today and highlight some of the 2020 mandatory CME 12-lead ECG teaching points. But before we go, can you break down the teaching pros one last time for our listeners? Absolutely, Melissa. So there's actually four things that I'd like to highlight here. The first one is that we did review the nine-step approach to ECG interpretation. It was introduced and then practiced during last year's mandatory CME pre-course as well as the interactive session. And you can also check out the show notes for a full list of things that are there. The second thing is, is that we highlighted the importance of clinically correlating the 12 lead with the patient presentation. And we reviewed two specific cases. The first one is wherein the ECG findings did not correlate with the patient condition. And the second case where the 12 lead ECG findings allowed the paramedic to reassess the history taking and really hone in on whether or not there were any chest pain equivalents because as we know, not all ST elevations are STEMIs. Absolutely. So remember, the 12 lead is a tool in your toolbox. Yeah. Thanks, Melissa. That's awesome. Very good add in there. So the third thing I wanted to look at or highlight is that we also discussed the importance of putting the defib pads on our STEMI patients, remembering that 5% will have a ventricular arrhythmia. And if your patient deteriorates, you're basically ready. You're ready to roll. And then the fourth thing, we reviewed what reciprocal changes are and why we look for them in a STEMI. Right. Reciprocal changes play a huge role in STEMI interpretation. Get in the habit when you see ST elevation on your monitor to look for ST depression. This piece was taught to broaden your knowledge base and understanding of the 12-lead interpretation and to help you feel more comfortable and prepared when consulting the interventional cardiologist when the time comes. Again, thank you, Dwayne, for the excellent recap. I hope you guys found value in this and enjoyed the review. As always, your feedback is always welcome throughout the year. Should you have any questions, do not hesitate to reach out to us over social media or Ask Mac. And certainly don't forget our email, which is swarp at lhsc.on.ca. We can also be reached by phone at 519-667-6718. In the meantime, be safe and we'll be talking to you soon. Bye for now.